Thank you, Andrew. And may you be having a wonderful new year. I feel I've been a long time since I've been here to minister to you, which means I'm really built up and ready to explode <laughs> for the next two hours. But I want to read to you um, from Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. And it uses here the name of God that the Israelites knew in the Old Testament, which roughly translates into English as Yahweh. And if you want to try and actually put it into English, the closest we can get is I am. And so um, remember that I'm going to be using the term Yahweh um, as we come this morning. And so in many of your Bibles, it's uh, for reasons known only to God and some men, they translated it Lord. That has nothing to do with anything. Uh, it does not translate this word. It is Yahweh, which means God, I am. He's not the I was. He's not the I will be. He is not the one who is sustained by another or helped or strengthened. He stands alone. I am the self-sufficient, all-sufficient. And uh, that's what was revealed to Moses when he said to, what is your name? And God said, his name is I am that I am, Yahweh. And so hold that as we read this and as I speak on this morning. Chapter 12 of Exodus. Now Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. And so because of that, speak to all the congregation of Israel. On the tenth of this month, they to each one, take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. And it goes on to give the description of taking that lamb and putting his blood on the doorposts and there they are marked as the blood-protected people before they go out and the rest of the story unfolds in Exodus. But it's those words, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's the first month of the year to you. It's about the only time in the Bible that it speaks of New Year. Uh, and it's interesting, I'm not going here, I just announce it, that Israel has four New Years. So if you missed it the first time, you've got three to go. Um, four times in what we call a year, they have New Year. And it's for all different reasons. This one is in April... And it's when the Feast of the Passover takes place. And this is different. This is the only time it is Yahweh himself who said, this is your new year. He said, this shall be the beginning of months for you. And then he said, 
It's going to be the new year. It's beginning. And it's gripped a hold of me. And as I said, because I've been silenced for so long, it builds up and builds up until you've got enough to talk about for a week. And so I want to look at it. Uh, You're familiar somewhat anyway uh, to what was happening here. Um, The um, Israelites, which were the descendants of Abraham, if you, the the quick, very quick, Abraham um, received what you might say is the cornerstone, the foundation of all prophecy in the Old Testament. Until you understand that, you'll never understand Israel or prophecy. He says to to Abraham, but I will bless you, I will make your name great, and those who bless you I will bless, those who curse you I will curse, and in you and your great descendant all families of the earth shall be blessed. And that was the promise upon which every other promise in the Old Testament hangs. And the son of Abraham, Isaac, and then there was Jacob, and then it goes through to the end of Genesis where it says 70 people, 70, were now the descendants of Abraham, and they went down into Egypt because Joseph had gone ahead of them, become the prime minister, and they were treated like royalty, 70 people. Didn't take very long. Joseph died, and and not only so, but uh, the pharaohs, the kings or emperors of Egypt, um, they had a change. There was a takeover. And the ones who came into power now were terrified of these Israelites that came in. It says they're, they're multiplying like rabbits. They said, and there'll become so many of them, they'll take over Egypt. And so they enslaved them. And as Egypt, as Exodus opens, those 70 people have indeed multiplied to a vast number. And they have become the slaves of the Egyptians. And they built the great monuments, they built many of the pyramids, they built uh, great memorial statues to the pharaohs, especially to the one who's the pharaoh of this story, and his name was Ra-Amesis. Um, if ever you have to pass through London, you can go to the British Museum and you can see the bricks that the Israelites made. And they had the whole story there right in the museum uh, that backs up what it says in the scripture. And um, they are by this time a, a downtrodden people. They came in with heads held high. They were the relatives of Joseph. But that's all over now. They have cruel overseers that uh, have their power in the whip. And the crack of the whip over the head of these slaves is their daily experience. You could say their days were etched out by um, misery. There, there was you couldn't any, any other way. All they did from sun up to sundown is make the bricks to build those great edifices you can still see in Egypt today, um, and beaten unnecessarily and cruelly. And, of course, there's plenty of thick mud there that they used to make the bricks, and they fell into the mud, and they were drowned in the mud many times. It's that kind of situation. Hopeless. There's no way out of this. 
They are the slaves of the Egyptians, and that's the end of it. And death was premature. You're not going to live long on the diet they were given and the work they had to do. Behind it all, and this is very important, you have a network of demons. Uh, we don't think much about that these days. But you're going to look when it comes to the plagues, which we're not going to go into. But every plague that came upon Egypt <clears throat> at the hand of Moses, you're familiar with the ten plagues, at least the idea. Uh, they were not, <clears throat> what you say, just an idea that Moses had. Hey, let's turn the Nile into blood. That'd be a jolly good idea. Or let, let's uh, multiply frogs. That sounds, it wasn't, no. <clears throat> the Egyptians worshipped a vast, uh, what you would a pantheon uh, of gods, each god being a demonic power. And when it came to the plagues, each plague was aimed at the central figure of a family of demonic gods. Just to uh, give you an illustration, they worshipped the Nile. Um, I have in my library the, the liturgical prayer book of the Egyptians in the days of Moses. And they, they came and they, I could give you the prayers that they prayed to the river Nile. Um, and they prayed to the Nile because in its overflow in the springtime, that was when their, their desert was turned into arable land. And so they said, Mother Nile, she feeds us. And the Nile was life. The Nile, anything that touched the Nile was looked upon as sacred. Crocodiles, uh, frogs, they were sacred because they came from Mother Nile. And so, when uh, the uh, plague at the hand of Moses came from Yahweh, um, you you have this um, horror that as Pharaoh is doing that liturgy of praise to the river Nile and worshipping the Nile, the Nile turns into blood, dead blood, until the whole land stunk. The river Nile is now turned into a river of blood, and all um, the, the streams that came out of the river Nile, it's blood, 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 dead blood, as if to say, you worship the river as life, I'll show you it's only death, and it's full of dead blood. Frogs, um, if, if you trod on a frog, you were executed for treading on a god. Um, so you, you didn't go frog hunting, um, because they're, they're, they're gods. They came out of the river Nile. And so again, Moses said, gods, I'll show you who the real God is. He, he'll give you more frogs than you can handle. And so he says, uh, frogs in the bedroom, frogs in the kitchen, frogs while you're eating. And, and remember, if I just tread on one of them, I'm in for execution because my, my, my God has gone nuts uh, and I, I don't know what to do. Um, you, you follow me? This was not just a haphazard. We are dealing here with a systematic pulling down of demonic strongholds that held Egypt with chains that were stronger than iron. And also not only Egypt, but the Middle East at that time. So wherever Israel went after this, 
they met with the gods that had been defeated in Egypt. And it's another story, but it should be at least understood that they were a people not only enslaved by a human slave master, Pharaoh, but they were enslaved by the gods that controlled Pharaoh. And that's where all the plagues were issued to those demonic gods that controlled Egypt. The, the Israelites had a vague idea of um, God. It, I say vague. You know, what was Israel's Bible? Have you ever thought about that? Their Bible was that promise that was given to Abraham. Period. That's it. Their Bible was a paragraph that, that said, because they descended from Abraham, and Abraham was the beginning of what God was doing, this new thing, then because of that, they are blessed. And they looked around as they stood there stinking in mud. Uh, they don't look very blessed. And their stomach is growling, and they don't feel very blessed. But that's the only promise they have, but it's very vague. And who is the God that spoke to Abraham? Well, they called him in Genesis El Shaddai, which for reasons known are not to me, I don't know in your Bibles, it probably translate that as God Almighty. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, Shaddai um, in Hebrew um, is, is breasted, and it portrays God as the nourishing mother, actually. It's the breasted one. It's the one who takes children and lets them suck at the breast. And so they they looked at their animals, and, and they saw uh, their sheep and their goats and the little ones feeding at the breast. Well, in Hebrew, the breast shad. And um, so they said, that's our God. He's he's not a woman. He's above that, but he is the one who nourishes us and feeds us. And so they came through with that promise to Abraham and the understanding of God as El Shaddai. But I say again, it was a very, very um, what I, I'll say vague. They they could not really define too clearly who their God was. They only had this promise that said one day there'll be a free people. That seemed impossible. They would inherit a land that too was tagged on to the promise to Abraham, a land that flowed with milk and honey, um, that they had come from at the invitation of Joseph all those years before. It all just seemed too much of a dream. It was a Disneyland. It was just go back to work, man, go back to work. There's nothing here. And into that situation comes Moses. Moses, now that's a story by itself. That would take two hours to tell. Um, the wonder that Moses, whose father worked in those slime pits, um, whose mother was in one of those wretched little hovels that they called home, but he had been raised in the royal palace. And interesting, just as a quick throwaway, that um, Moses was raised in the nursery with Ramesses, the one who is now the Pharaoh. They were raised as brothers. And if Moses had not discovered he was an Israelite 
and went and actually lived down among them and gave up his royal titles, he probably would have been the next pharaoh because Ramesses was a lazy, fat slug who only wanted people to make monuments to him and put his name on everything and the pyramids. Moses came. Well, he he came right out of the royal palace, came to live with his people, and people that didn't understand him. Who's this? He's a prince. He's, he's come to live with us. He's one of us. Goodness sake, man, go home. Uh, and he says, you've got a future. He'd, he'd heard of the promises, and he heard of what God said to Abraham. He says, this is yours. Let's get out of here. And the only way Moses knew to get out of here was have a war. He was trained in that as a prince in Egypt. And in secular documents, Egyptian documents, it mentions the great works of General Moses, who, who had been the leader of the people. And now he's one of the slaves. And he says, I'm not standing for this. He's been to the gym all his life. He, he, he's not one of these whimpering slaves. And, and the next taskmaster that raises a whip, he goes for him, kills him buries him in the sand and says, okay, guys, now let's go. And he found the street was empty. Every slave had run for their lives. They say, we want none of this. So Moses' picture appeared in every post office. He's most wanted man. And he runs for his life, runs out into the vast wilderness, the Sinai Desert. That's another story. But it's in that mountain range that he saw the burning bush 40 years later. And, and seeing the burning bush and God spoke to him and God says, my name is Yahweh, I'm the I am. And I've not forgotten my people. And now is it you go and set them free. Moses comes into Egypt. The Egypt he'd fled from. His picture was still up there. Only now he didn't smell like a prince. He smelled like a sheep. And, and that didn't help because the Egyptians despise shepherds. And, and so stinking Moses comes into the court and he faces his supposed brother, Ramesses. And he says, let my people go. Well, Ramesses thought that's the biggest joke he's ever heard. Pour another glass of wine. What is this guy talking about? Has he gone nuts? In whose name are you here? Moses said, in the name of Yahweh. And, and the Pharaoh said, who is this Yahweh? I don't know any God called Yahweh. I'm keeping my people. You get out of here. And so the plagues begin. And it has now come to the final one. And um, I, I've got a tape series of hours and hours and hours dealing with all this period and, and, and the, each one of the plagues. So there's much I'm missing out here, but it's not important um, for what we're saying. It comes to the last one, and the last one is the death of the firstborn. And there's a story to that, but God says you take the lamb. Kill the lamb, take the blood, put it on the doorposts. You've heard the story. And the family, you go in and you've got to eat the whole lamb. 
one whole lamb inside one whole family. And so the blood of the lamb shelters the family, and the lamb is inside the family. That's the picture. The word was out. Every firstborn in Egypt was terrified. And people came flocking into Goshen where the slaves lived. And they said, we're on your side. We're forsaking the gods of Egypt. Uh, And they sheltered in their houses underneath the blood. And so we don't really know how many left Egypt in the end because it says a great multitude of the Egyptians actually came with them. It's feel this night, feel it. You've been through nine plagues. You've seen every god in Egypt smashed, exposed as empty, stupid. Egypt's in a shambles. They don't know if the pharaoh's still in charge. Another firstborn, this night, they're going to eat a lamb whose blood is covering them. And and Moses told them, when you eat it, don't sit down. You've got to stand at the table, your sturdy shoes on, your best clothes that you can get for going on a long trip, the staff in your hand, eat with one hand, your suitcases at the door ready to go, because we're going tonight. We're leaving. And when we do, we won't have many minutes So you stand at the table eating, watching, ready, listening. We're getting out of here. Dressed, ready to leave before the sun rose in the morning. To walk boldly away and say, Pharaoh, forget it, we're gone. Well, they didn't have to say that because at midnight, the firstborns of Egypt died, including the firstborn prince of Egypt. And Ramesses called for Moses and said, get out of here. I never, I never want to see you again. Get out of here. Take all your people with you. I'll never see you. And so it was Pharaoh himself who ejected all the slaves and said, get out of here. And they got. But as they are going, <coughs> Yahweh says, this night, this day is the beginning of days. Interesting. I say it's the only time keeping a new year, New Year's Eve, where they're standing dressed and ready to go. It's the only time in the Bible we reference this. He said this is the beginning. It's a new year, but in a new way. It's a new beginning. Everything that's happened here in the last months every plague, every sign, every wonder that you've seen. And we're going out of here and you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see the Red Sea part. You're you're going to walk on the mud at the bottom of the sea. You're, You're going to see manna falling out of the sky every night. Water is going to shoot out of rocks. This is only this, this period is the beginning of something you can't even comprehend right now. And interestingly, just to let you know, Abraham was told they will be slaves for 430 years. 
And it says there in Genesis, in Exodus 12, it was 430 days to the day when they walked out. And so they went out of people who were coming to some sort of shaky faith. They didn't know who Yahweh was, and they didn't like it that Moses had upset the Pharaoh so badly. But it was working out that if he says, go, we're going. And along with them, the terrified Egyptians. What a night. As everybody in Egypt is sitting there in sheer terror of what's going to happen. And the smell of roast lamb... I mean, if you know roast lamb, it's a British thing. We we eat lamb a lot. Uh, but it's got a very distinctive smell. Now you get how many... Uh, there were approximately three million slaves, approximately. Add to that a bunch of Egyptians that had come in on it. And approximately four to five people to a family... And every family had to roast a lamb. And that was not done in an oven in your kitchen. They didn't have a kitchen. They roasted outside. It was barbecue. And the smell of roast lamb from I don't know how many thousands of families would have wafted across the Nile and Egypt would be coughing at the smell of roast lamb and saying, what? the heck are these Israelites up to now? It was the smell of freedom. It was the guarantee of shaking off the shackles and, yeah, they're going. It's an amazing story, um, especially when there's so much about it you can prove is true. Um, not that we'd need that to be amazed by it, but it is. God has invested himself in slaves. And the Egyptians looked at a slave as a nothing. No, not a person. A slave was the same. It went under the category. You've got so many sheep, you've got so many goats, you've got so many slaves. Um, and, no, and God invested himself. He answered Pharaoh's sneer. Who is Yahweh? Okay, I'll show you who Yahweh is. And he invested himself publicly with the slaves until the non-slave population was begging at the slaves' door that they could come and join them. This is the story of covenant love. This is God who covenanted with Abraham, swore upon his own being, and said, y you will be a blessing. Your, your descendants will be blessed. They will be like the stars of the sky. They'll be like the sand of the desert. And whoever comes within your range will be blessed with your blessing. And there's one coming, one of your descendants, and through that one all families of the earth shall be blessed. This isn't just for Israel. This is for every person on the planet. What a night when the great wheels of God's fulfilling his purpose have really begun. It began with the first entrance of Moses to the court of Pharaoh, but now it's well on its way.
tonight we're leaving. And in this, and this is the most important thing, this is the beginning of months. It's the beginning of days. It's the first months of your year for the rest of your life. But more than that, it's the first. It's it's the beginning. 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 That that's a point of origin. Something is beginning. It wasn't there before. It's fresh. Uh, an older English will be Genesis. This is the Genesis. It's, it's it's just been in somebody's head before, but now it's coming. You see, when when they would leave and say this is the beginning, they wouldn't look back to it as a distant, remote, you know, dust-covered past, some obsolete information that Abraham was told this and we had these plagues and we, we got out. No. This is the beginning. Feel it. This thing is alive. This thing's going to have children. This is the beginning. This is going to actually come. You, you, you'll see what it's all about in a generation or two. This is the beginning. It's not just a date change. It isn't that yesterday, you know, it was the 31st and now you're going to call it the first. It's a date change on your calendar. Make sure you get all your calendars set right. No, this is the beginning. That means we've never seen this before. I don't know. I don't know what to expect. It's the beginning. If we knew what was coming, it wouldn't be the beginning. The beginning. It's it's going this night as they stood there stuffing their face with roast lamb with a staff in the other hand, waiting for that voice of authority to say, come, we're out of here. This night is going to define their identity. Right now they don't have an identity. They're the nothings. They're, they're, they're the people who make bricks and fall into the mud and die. No, this this night, this night, you'll never forget this night. You are going to be given, bestowed by God's action. You will have an identity that you're going to carry for the rest of your life. And your worst enemies will tremble before you and say, that's one of them. Individually, collectively, they've been forcibly put out of Egypt by the Pharaoh. They've been delivered, and Pharaoh came to that conclusion because of wonders performed by the Holy Spirit and by the presence of their covenant-keeping God, who was the active force. He led them out of Egypt. It was to be done every year at this time, and I'm sure you know it's still done to this day. Um, and it's a feast of remembrance. Now, we, we've talked about this many times before, but it won't do any harm to say it again because it is alien to what we believe the word remember means. When they, in the Bible, most of the time, the word remember, remembrance, means that the person or the event that you are remembering 
Way back there in the past, you're remembering it. You might not even have been alive when it happened, but you're remembering it. Remember in the Hebrew and in the New Testament too, it means that that is taken and brought into your present moment. It's not something back there that you're merely trying to make sense of and form a picture of in your head. It You bring that life, you bring the experience, you bring every promise and power attached to it, and you bring it into this here, this now, where I sit, and it becomes my present reality. And so every year they came and they celebrated this feast of Passover. Uh, and it wasn't just a boring recitation of time past. It, it wasn't even like fireworks on the 4th of July to remember something at the beginning of this country. No, 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 no. Passover is not that. It's remembering that past as it now applies to me, if I'm an Israelite, to us, and to say that that's not ancient history. It's happening right now. And it's happening to me and to you, though we're not in that time. That time has become this time. And we're not in that place, but that place has become this place. And as Israel is walking out of Egypt, I am in them and with them, and I am now walking out of Egypt. And if you go and hear a present-day Seder, they call it today, the Passover, it's all in the present tense. It's... um, They don't say our fathers left Egypt. They don't say our fathers went through the Red Sea. They said we left Egypt. We went through the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. And so I might be removed from that time by hundreds of years. And I I find a present challenge in life. I find an opportunity or someone is threatening me. Well, my approach to this is that. My road to the future is in the past. I do not, how can I put this, and this is so important, I do not pray as if something new has happened. Oh, shucks, God, we're getting attacked. What do we do now? You've got to be, you read the, you read the prayers of the Old Testament. They never did that. They said, you made promises to Abraham. You brought us out of Egypt. You took us through the Red Sea. Meaning this is that and that is this. That we don't have to have something new happened. What happened there reverberates through our entire history. And we call upon the God of the Exodus because you're the God of today. I am going somewhere with this because I know you're not an Israelite, but so everything that happens to me, everything that happens to me is seen in the light of the beginning. It was the beginning because it would affect everything that ever would happen to me in the future. It's the beginning. It is, in fact, the beginning now seen a hundred years later. 
and realize through my new eyes that they, this night, it says you're in. There's no doubt about it. So they were never trying to be the people of God. You'll never get a hint that, that they are told to now try and be God's people. Like it or not, as miserable as you may be, you are the people of God. That was the beginning and you were there. And in you, every Israelite was there. And then you all came out through the Red Sea. You are, so start rearranging your life in terms of who you are. You'll never find them until they walked absolutely and blinded their eyes and stuff there is. And then they came up with weird stuff. But I'll put it this way. They didn't have to have, didn't have to try and have faith for this present moment. That's the curse of the 21st century. The church out there this morning, I could name some of them. And they there you have a sermon about trying to have faith. It's okay. That they I won't say they got it, but it was inherent in this. They didn't have to have faith for this present moment. They were the people of God. That that was the beginning. They trusted the God who said they were the people of God. They trusted him who had saved them, had delivered them had brought them, had sustained them to this present moment. I don't have to try and be the people of God. I trust him who says I am. They are out of step with the world around them, totally out of step. They're they're walking to the beat of the Passover drum. No. You, you, You don't... Carry the same anxieties. You don't, you don't have a vision of God that everybody else seems to have. No, we don't, because we are those who came out that night that defined us forever. That is our God, and that is where we stand in relation to that God. It was not only a meal that remembered; it was a covenant meal, and the covenant meal always has to be remembered. And as I said, it was never past tense. Never God did this, God did this. So please, God, would you do that? No, that's all pagan stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm not holding up Israel in the Old Testament as the personification of this. They, they wrestled with it and had problems with it. But they, they knew what Christians today don't seem to know that there is a decisive moment when God says, this is who I am. You you are who you are because this is who I am. And that's it. We no longer say, become it. You are it. You no longer start all over again and say, oh, God, please become. There are certain things. We're, We're walking to the beat of that drum. It's done. It's finished. It's done. It's finished. So they did. Belonged to every Israelite. It was their 
that night was the personal history of every Israelite. Every Israelite said, I was there. It was maybe five generations ago. I was there. I came through the Red Sea. I was in Israel, in the God who led us out. It's my genesis. This is where I originated. It's where I start. This is a... So that feast every year, the Passover, what was not to now try and become, one more time, let's have a New Year's resolution. Let, let's, you know, turn over a new leaf. All those utterly pagan statements that persons make, that, that Passover says no. We're not, we're not turning over a new, this isn't a second chance. This is stating this is who you are. So reset your mind to be in accord with what this feast is saying. Do you, do you understand? Reset is, um, you've begun to think like a pagan. Well, when we get to the Passover, sit down there and understand you're no pagan. You came through that night, and that night has defined you. You see your entire life in the light of the beginning. You could say that that night was the portal through which every Israelite passed. To be an Israelite meant we came through that night. So how do I imagine myself? I go back through the portal. I'm, I cannot think of myself as an Israelite. I cannot think of myself apart from standing at that table, eating lamb and ready to go. That's me. Who am I? I'm the person who went through the Red Sea. God took me through. That's who I am. Who are you? I'm a person that went out every morning and picked up manna from the desert floor because my God wouldn't let me starve. It's how they thought of themselves. Can you comprehend that? It's very important. It's a message of the whole Bible, actually. When they talked among themselves, this is how they talked. In the we were, therefore we are. And when we talk about you, that's how we talk about you. You're one of us who came through that. And when we look at the day's events, whether it be a challenge, an opportunity, or a threat, that's how we look about it. That doesn't come to us as individuals. It comes to us who is one with the God who brought us through the Red Sea. So... They carried inside them as a people. They had a personal history of defeating the demonic forces that controlled the Middle East. I mean, essentially, they sat and watched it. They had little to, in fact, they had nothing to do with it. They stayed in their houses and watched while God did it. But they come out, that was our history. So whenever you meet the demonic forces in the Middle East, watch out. You know one of those people has arrived. They defeated you in Egypt. 
Watch out, these people don't believe anything's impossible. They walk through the Red Sea. <laughs> do, do you understand me? You're just stunned to silence. I'm serious. This is what it's all about. The Passover was a resetting. It was a re-knowing of myself. Beginning. It meant, in a sense, I don't know where we're going. All I know is this was the beginning. <laughs> and if that's the beginning, where are we going? I remember when I lived in Canada, um, October time most of the time, um, you get your first snowfall. That is the most beautiful thing, I think. It lasts about five minutes. You, you look out in the early morning at this crisp white snow and it goes on to the horizon because very quickly it would turn into black slush as the cars and the people but that, those the and at that time you would go to the mailbox and you'd leave behind you that that footprints in the white crisp snow I often think of you face the beginning and you look out and there's this white wonder and whatever you do you're making the imprint you, you, you're creating a future only these people were creating a future their imprint was of everything that happened on that night and certainly for them eye has not seen and ear has not heard if that's the beginning I can't imagine what the end. They were as dead to Egypt as that lamb was that had died for them. They were dead to the place. They're never going back there again. They were dead to the power. Egypt can't touch them again. They're dead to the mind and the thinking of Egypt. And every time they go wrong, it's because they forgot that and started thinking like an Egyptian. Like 10 spies who were terrified of the giants. Caleb and Joshua were there that night, and they got the message. And that's why I know in saying this is what it was intended. We have people in the Old Testament that got this. Beginning... It means that everything before that is not the beginning. It's, well, what is it? It's before everything started. So it was nothing. It was, at best, if I give it identity, then it, it's, it's now decrepit. It's old. It's already passing away. And... The Israelites, as everything that they relied on, everything they believed in, everything that they knew was leaving, going, gone. And they're stepping out in the snow and they're making a pathway where there's never been a pathway. And there's one of the Psalms, you remember, where he says, Who is like unto you? Speaking to God, he said, Who is like unto you among the gods? 
that is among all the demon powers that call themselves God, is there one that even compares to you who is like unto you? And, and they're discovering that they've got no textbook, you see. They've, they've, they've never been this way before. They don't know who this God is except what Moses told them. And they're learning, learning. And so they're growing in their trust in this God who looks after them. They're growing in knowing who they are. So I say it again, this is so important. They're learning not to think of themselves as the new buddy on the block. It isn't that this happened, so I'm now going to pray as if it's never happened before. No, it happened once and for all. I don't have to go over this again. Mm -hmm. I'm trusting the God who did it, which if he did it, he said, this is who I am. And so relax. Do you remember Jehoshaphat, 2 Chronicles 20, if you want to read it, but um, he was up against the wall, to say the least. And um, he prays. The whole prayer is in 2 Chronicles 20. And he goes back to Abraham. He says, You're Abraham, you said that to Abraham. You brought us here. And then he ends the prayer by saying, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. It's okay. You know, a tremendous chapter. But that's, it's... They're not looking for a new revelation of Yahweh. We have it. We have it, and it cannot be improved on. Well, they thought it couldn't, but um, that's where they were. All they had to do was call on and rest in all that was revealed on that one night. Their God himself was their guarantee of deliverance. He was the place of death. He was their salvation. It wasn't that they've now got enough faith to believe it. He, he said he himself was the faith to produce what he said. And so it became their way of saying hello. Uh, in Israel today, when they meet you, they say shalom, which is good. But um, in, in Bible days, they said, the Lord be with you. And probably a better way, the Lord is with you. Um, and, and your response would be, and the Lord bless you. Now, every time you met a person, you reminded them, don't forget, the Lord is with you. You're not like the world. You, you are attended by God himself. And the person would say, you bet, and that Lord bless you. And that's how they greeted during the daytime. Um, they expected him in the every day. So you get those stories of Elisha where a woman with no oil keeps pouring oil out of an empty bottle um, because uh, she needed the money. Um, or he goes to the water supply in Jericho and he's being poisoned and it, the, the water is healed, you know. 
and it's scattered through the Old Testament, there was no limit. God, Yahweh, had actually moved in to their lives. And wherever that meant, he was there. That's where where the Psalms come from. You can't understand the Psalms unless you understand this. Where, Where were they coming from? The Lord is my shepherd. We should be, I am is my shepherd. I shall not want. And that guy is about to be killed by his own son as he's writing that. I shall not want. You're looking after me. Right now, you lead me beside the still water so there's no, I'm not afraid. There's no sound of rushing water. Peace. You lead me to lush green meadows. Surely, goodness, loving kindness shall relentlessly pursue me all the days of my life. He said to them in Leviticus 26, he says, you will eat your food to the full, live securely in your land. I'll give you peace in the land so that you may lie down with no one making you to tremble. I will eliminate harmful beasts from the land. No sword will pass through your land. You'll chase your enemies and they will fall before you. Five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred will put 10,000 to flight. This is who you are, he said. I, I will turn toward you, make you fruitful, multiply you. I'll confirm my covenant every day as an opportunity for me to say I am what I said I am. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. He says there's so much new coming in that you're just, the new will push the old out. I will make my dwelling among you. I will not reject you. I will walk among you, be your God. You shall be my people. You'll be marked. You belong to me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He doesn't say, I woke up this morning and shucks, I feel good about you. He said, a thousand years ago, I brought you out of Egypt. That was the beginning, and you're still working that out. Do you follow me? Let me read it again. He said, I'm the Lord your God. How how do I know that? I don't feel it. No. Remember it. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke, that is what they put on their backs. And I love this. I made you walk erect. He said, you don't bend over as you walk as a slave. You're not cowering from the whip. You walk straight. And the very way you walk says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And the way I walk testifies that it was the beginning. And you're in that beginning that keeps on bringing forth fruit. Kind of scary, I guess. They didn't know where they were going. They knew they were leaving. 
But um, any thinking person among them, and there's always one in every crowd who just uh, hold it, hold it, you know. Okay, they're, they're taking us out. Where are we going? You know, don't get all excited and say, we're leaving, we're leaving. Where are we, where are we going? I mean, we've got all this information. How do we translate it into everyday life? We're leaving. How are we going to escape the Egyptians? Ever thought about that? Tomorrow was promise. It was potential. But it was waiting, cautious, because you're going into the absolute unknown. It was a new life that was beckoning to them in the night. And it was an excitement mixed with fear. Or they knew it would never be the same again. That's about all I can promise anybody. You know, yeah. when I have yielded to the realities, the only realities that are true in Christ, um, I've no idea what's going to happen, except it will never be the same again. It would never be the same all over again. Get up and day as usual. And for the first time in their life, they're going to walk out of that door upright, cowering from nobody. And when they settle down and they go to milk the cows, the barn is filled with the presence of God, for God's invested himself in their farm. He's invested himself in their fields. Everything's new. And he's not leaving. He didn't come with an overnight bag. God packed his bag the same as them. We're in this for life. You're stamped with the indelible mark of the presence of God. And it all began that night and continued with the insertion of the Passover meal so they would reset their mind. This is who we are. We remember, and I'm doing it. We're now there. It was a change on the calendar, but it reached the very guts of the people. They were known for that. As I said, their enemies knew and, and respected it. The Joshua led the people finally into the land of Canaan, as promised. And Joshua sent two spies out. He wasn't fool enough to send another 12. <laughs> he sent two, go see, lie of the land. And they go and they stay with Rahab, if you remember that story. And, and the soldiers are coming to look for them. And so she hides them up on the roof. And so before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. Oh, a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Why so? We have heard 
how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. That was a generation before. That was 40 years later. And they're still scared spitless. Their hearts are melting for fear. And they're saying, we're not going to mess with you. We know God is with you. We know he's given you this land. Don't touch us. You know, it's... When we heard of it, our hearts melted. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. That's Old Testament. That's Israel. And I find still today people speak in lowered voices about demonic power. They are more scared of you than you are of them. I could tell you stories about that, but I won't. But there was always, after all was said and done, there was that promise within the promise. Many people, can I say this very carefully? Because people accuse me of being anti-Semitic. I'm not anti-Semitic at all. Good grief. I honor the nation that God chose to make his own when he was incarnate. What we've missed, though, is this this piece of the promise. It said, through you shall all families of the earth be blessed. And I like it, it doesn't say all nations. That's too blah. But it means all families, all families, all families, all families, all families. It's, it's the smallest unit. He says every family. And there's no ifs and buts. And dare I say this? He doesn't say if they believe. Right. He didn't say, like some of our friends, they can't give a sentence out of the Bible without saying it. You know, all families of the earth shall be blessed if they repent and believe. Didn't say that. God says, this is what I'm going to do. Like it or not. So Israel was not chosen to be God's pet, which many, many people seem to think that God chose Israel and now he's just mean nice to them and mean to everybody else. They had an enormous burden placed upon them, which they didn't want to acknowledge and actually don't acknowledge. And... Many of the Christians who believe Israel is God's darling cat um, don't recognize it. Israel was chosen for a purpose. Their choosing was not meaningless. And what I've just described to you was not just some meaningless thing that happened that now we blow it away when Jesus comes. 
right there in the first prophecy that governs the Old Testament, in you, Abraham, the beginning of the Israelite people, in you, all families of the earth. It takes in every nation on earth, every person who's ever had a mother and father. All families of the earth shall be blessed. And the New Testament defines for us what blessed is. In Galatians, it says that the blessing of Abraham is when Jesus filled us with the Holy Spirit in his ascension. Uh, and and that's not for an elite. Every, it says, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. This isn't for some elite group. He says the Holy Spirit is poured out upon humankind. And that's the blessing of Abraham. Finally, we know what it is. But now now think about it. Jesus, you know, he is God, creator, who becomes flesh. He takes our humanity to him. He becomes a genuine human being. And yet, when I meet him, I don't see schizophrenic. I see that the human has become one with the divine. Okay. Do you realize that human that Jesus became was an Israelite? Have you ever thought about it? You know, we say God became flesh. That flesh was Israeli. And it was of the tribe of Judah. So you could absolutely say Jesus was an Israelite, specifically a Jew. What's he saying? Abraham, you've got your descendant. In the temple of that day, it was recorded. And Jesus went directly back to Abraham in his genealogy. He is the descendant of Abraham, through whom all families of the earth shall be blessed. Israel had done its job unwittingly <laughs> kicking but it has given to the world that night when a baby's cry pierced the fields of Bethlehem every promise of the Old Testament was fulfilled in gynecology a baby was born and that baby descendant from Abraham through him all nations a Jew is going to bring the blessing of Abraham to every Gentile family. And the Jew at that point should... Look, if someone told me that God incarnate was an Englishman, how, how would you feel? I would say for certain, then that's the end of the English race, if my race has now become God incarnate on earth, 
we're no longer talking about it in the same way. At least I don't think you would. God became an Israelite? What does that mean, for goodness sake? Are you going to go back and start fooling around with the promises of the Old Testament and saying they haven't been fulfilled yet? Are you daft? God, God became human, specifically Israelite. Why? To sum up everything since that night and say, I'm here. Instead, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Jesus is, I'm, I know I'm going to get whipped for this, but Jesus is the final Israelite. They've done their job. Retire with honor. We honor the nation that gave us the Christ. But let that nation know all of their hopes and all of their promises now come through him. You can't say, well, we're waiting for something more. More? Okay. That last Israelite who shall now bring to us everything God had said in the Old Testament. At the Passover. Of all times, he could have done it any time he wanted. But he chose to sit on a rooftop in Jerusalem with 12 plus of his intimate disciples. And they were eating the lamb of the Passover. And into that feast he wove another story. And he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given to you. And he'd already said in John 6, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant, the new covenant, the new covenant. That beginning has brought us to a new beginning that was beyond anything that old beginning could have imagined. Because this Israelite, Jesus, is God in our humanity, and therefore that Israelite equals the entire human race. Colossians 2 says, Colossians 1 says, that in him all things, all persons hold together. Everyone has had the most intimate relationship with Jesus from before they were born. They wouldn't be here but for him. He holds us together. 
He's not only the creative word, he's a sustaining word. And now he who equals everyone institutes this meal that says, I'm giving myself to you. And he says, the new way of this new thing is love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know you are my disciples. And the covenant meal of the Eucharist. And then he says, and the Holy Spirit shall come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you'll understand all of this. And that night, a night again, we, the human race, joined to him who is fulfilling every prophecy made to Israel by including us. We then, we went out that night and when he entered his sufferings, we were there. And not just there, but we were part of the giving of our sin and rottenness and wickedness and brokenness to him. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all at the hands of wicked men. And we were there. We co-suffered with him. When he died on the cross, we died with him. And Paul says it as if it was common knowledge. I was crucified with Christ. Romans 6 spells it out that we, in the likeness of his death, co-crucified. When Jesus was laid in the tomb, we, the human race, was laid in the tomb with him. And when Jesus rose, we rose in the likeness of his resurrection. We, 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 we. And that is not obsolete old history. It is the remembrance. And the remembrance that takes place in the meal of the new covenant. And as we take of this meal, like the Israelite who came out of Egypt and forever defined by they came out of Egypt, so we now partake of the bread and the wine, and we are forever defined as persons. We were crucified with Christ. Done deal. We rose again. We ascended. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, and he has given to us his spirit. Done, finished, over. That's who we are. Our faith is not something I invented as a personal, well, not only personal, private, individualistic. You know, and I'm not making fun of people now because I, I know where they're coming from and I'm, I'm just trying to clarify things. I said to a person, you could take it any time, and you say, when, when did you 
come to know the Lord. They said, I, I, I was saved, you know, 10 years ago. Okay, God bless you. I know what you mean. I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying, let's get this straight. That's like an Israelite saying that I have a private relationship with God about 10 years ago. No, the Israelite would say, I was one who came through the Red Sea. Ten years ago is when you woke up to realize that you were in Christ. Ten years ago, you woke up to realize that you were co-crucified with him and you were buried with him and that you are now a totally transformed person in his likeness. Spirit lives in you. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Who, who who saved you? Israel, how did you get out of Egypt? The Lord brought us out with mighty signs and wonders. Cheryl, Clint, how did you get to where you are? How did you come to know God? Lord brought you through the cross. The Lord brought you to death and the Lord brought you through resurrection, ascension. What about your faith? My faith is in his faith. Did, 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 did any human faith lead us? Through resurrection? Has any other human being been resurrected? Any other human being has brought about the death of death? That's the faith by which salvation occurred. It's not my faith. I have faith in his faith. I trust his faith. I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Romans 5, we are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. Yes. The night of all nights defines us forever. And you come to pray, it's, it's not that you've got a sudden new idea. Let's talk to God about this. And oh God, I'm sure you've never met this problem before, but um, no, what do you do? You pray in the name of Jesus. What do you mean by that? You, you mean I, I am not coming because of any reason I can find in myself, not that I was looking. Um, I'm just coming because he who I co-lived, co-died, co-buried, co-rose, co-ascended, co-filled with the Spirit, he and I now talk together. Yes. And when I pray, he prays. And when he prays, I pray. Yes. Night that changed everything. Yes. Everything. Yes. So in his resurrection, he becomes the ultimate beginning you could say, I suppose, 
at the resurrection, shout it throughout the whole of the earth, Happy New Year. This is the beginning of days. This is the beginning of months. It's the beginning of years. It's the beginning of what you've never dreamed or thought of before. And every human being in him, so they walk through that in him. And we enjoy that at Metanoia, when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and we see what we've never seen before. Now, here's an interesting thing. There's two verses in Revelation that sum it up. See if you hear what I see. Revelation 1.17, John, the writer of Revelation, says, When I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Revelation 22, verse 12. Behold, Jesus again speaking, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus said in his resurrection, first and last, Alpha, Omega, first and last again, the beginning and the end. That actually, uh, the first part of that, um, without going into any details, that translation is not the best. Behold, I'm coming soon. Anytime people today, Christians, and they hear the word coming, they say it's got to be the second coming, which is very poor Bible exegesis. It's the word parousia, which means in the presence of. You and I now enjoy parousia. We're in the presence of each other. And it's presence alive. If you go to Greece today and you go in a big hotel, you know, the messages to the firemen, if there's a fire, they give messages to the firemen. This is where the electric plug is. This is... Well, because it's in Greek, and it says, big red letters, parousia, with an arrow pointing to the electric plug, meaning, fireman, this will be a, a live plug in the state of a fire. Parousia. That's that Jesus said, behold, I am coming. Parousia. What are they saying? Parousia is saying in Greece, in this hotel, Electricity is present. Parousia is present. It's here. Plug in. It's alive. So I don't believe this is speaking about the second coming. 
This is saying, he's always coming to us. He says, behold, I come quickly. Sure, I don't have to have a notice to say he'd get you an appointment in six weeks. <laughs> behold, I come. I am always, my presence is, I'm coming. Yes. Quickly. I'm here for you. And his reward is always with him. Now, our translation says, my reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. What kind of Bible is that? That's a bad translation. But it says, his reward is always with him, always in accord with his finished work. He comes to you to reward you, not with what you've done, but with what he did. And he said, I am quick to come. And why is that so? Because I am the beginning. I am the end. I'm not nearly rescuing out of Egypt. I'm taking you out of the powers of darkness Mm -hmm. and setting you at my right hand. Well, um, I think I better quit. Good grief, I better quit, yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Father, thank you that it's all true. Come, Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding and let us go walking into our new year, celebrating eyes open to your unending newness, the beginning of all beginnings. Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.